Hello and welcome to this week's Companies and Markets show. My name's Ian Smith. I'm the company's editor of the IC. On this week's podcast, we will be reviewing a busy interim results season and answering some of the following questions. What does the FDA's latest broadside against the tobacco industry over in the US mean for the London listed players in that market? Is the estate agency sector in terminal decline after some bad half-year results for a couple of the listed uh, companies? We'll also be getting the thoughts of our small cap columnist Simon Thompson on a couple of picks from his bargain shares portfolio, which he has updated in his column this week. Okay, joining me in the studio, we have our specialist writers, Julia Forshaw. Hi, Julia. How are you doing? Good, Ian. How are you? Not too bad. It's been a busy old time with results, hasn't it? it have you been enjoying has it? Been yeah, been busy been a, and a, another busy week to come, actually. Uh, and we also have Jonas Crosland, our other specialist writer who covers the uh, property and construction sectors. How are you doing, Jonas? Very well, thanks. Uh, Ian, it's been a mad week. It's been an absolutely mad week. And we're going to try and break it down. We thought we'd take a couple of broad themes um, from the results coverage this week. I think there's 27 pages of companies analysis in the magazine. And obviously, that's all online too. So do go and pick it up. Uh, we put our blood, sweat and tears into that. Uh, but it's been a really interesting time. But in addition to the results, we also had quite a big news story in the tobacco sector from the Food and Drug Administration in the US. Julia, what have they said? On Friday last week, the FDA came out with this announcement that they are going to investigate the level of nicotine found in cigarettes and aim over the long term to lower the amount of nicotine found in these cigarettes to what they call non-addictive levels. Which would raise the question, what is the point of a non-addictive cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, a lot of shareholders are feeling the same way in uh, Imperial Brands and British American Tobacco because the shares in BATS fell about 7% on the day and Imperial Brands was down about 4%. Yeah, immediately, I mean, the FDA said, we're going to start a public debate about this. It, it wasn't quite exactly clear about exactly what it was going to do, but you, you've just kind of put all the content in what you've just said. You're reducing nicotine to non-addictive levels, which obviously is a big challenge to those players. The share prices fell heavily. What's the context here? How important a market is, is the US for these groups? Well, for British American Tobacco, it about 43% of its revenue comes from the US. But um, for Imperial Brands, it's only about 23%, which is still quite a lot. Mm. And, for, and for British American Tobacco, obviously the big acquisition of the stake that it doesn't own Reynolds, in Reynolds American. Right. Um, yeah, it's going to kind of firm up its presence there. Yeah, it has just quite dramatically increased its um, exposure to the US as well. I mean, these companies go back a few years everyone got very excited about emerging markets but it's fair to say in recent times the focus has shifted back to the US especially with the rise of e-cigarettes and some of the consolidation that we've mentioned um, mm. what do you think this news potentially does for uh, you know the primacy of, of that market still in its early stages but the the FDA is planning to target um, combustible tobacco products so cigarettes and cigars and things like that specifically rather than looking at some of these um, vaporizing products or the heat and not burn tobacco products. They specifically say that it's the nicotine is most harmful when delivered through smoke particles particles in combustible cigarettes. Because some people have been expecting the regulator to go after um, yeah, the non-combustibles, um, the, the vaping and the rest of the kind of products. But right. it, why, why haven't they gone down that route? I think... At this stage, from my understanding, is they look at um, some of the, the research that the, the health industry has been putting into this, and they can quite firmly say that inhaling smoke particles is really bad for the lungs, whereas some of these vaporizing products and these heat-not-burn products are 
fairly new to the market. We don't quite know and the so long-term it, health effects yet. Exactly. It's kind of hard to say at this stage what long-term it's actually doing to the body, whereas people have been smoking for such a long time that they can quite definitively say, this is not very good for you. So what have the companies said if, uh, in response to this? What's the latest coming out of them? Um, a spokesperson from Imperial Brands said it's, you know, it's basically just too early to understand, and they're saying that they expect it to be a, a measured and lengthy process. So at this point, they're just kind of in a wait-and-see stance. And British American Tobacco was um, said something quite similar. But they were saying they're quite encouraged by the harm reduction plan by the FDA. And um, it's always on board to help make the tobacco industry safer, so they say. But They're talking a good game. I mean, we've had right. a couple of other news items around bats, you know, over the past week or so, including its own mm. uh, half-year half results. What do you think we kind of learned about the company uh, at the half-year stage? Uh, as expected, really, um, they're selling fewer cigarettes every year. And that was, again, the case this year. And Imperial Brands was the same way at their last set of results. And so more and more these companies are looking at these alternative products and uh, thinking of how they can expand them. And British American Tobacco is now the largest vapor company in the world. And they've got their alternative products in 15 markets worldwide. So they're really putting a lot of effort into to pushing these products as far as they'll go. Because volumes have been in, in decline for a fair amount of time now, but That's it's about right. which brands are growing, focus on the brands that are growing, but mm. also focus, yeah, also look at uh, vaping. Yeah, um, those cigarettes that they are selling, they're really focusing on kind of the premium, more expensive brands. And so not only will people be paying more for these, which will help revenue, but also it's product that they'll probably, it will probably be more enjoyable. So they're kind of more likely to come back and buy it again. I suppose... If people start to get concerned, one of the things they might get concerned as a shareholders from a shareholder's perspective is about the income. Um, did we learn anything new at the half-year stage about um, what's supporting the income or the dividend policy over the longer term? I mean, these companies are still managing to grow their revenue. Free cash flow is still good on both of them. And so at this point, the dividend doesn't look like it's going to be under threat because they're doing quite a good job at promoting these alternative products and putting a lot of effort and research into pushing them and making them good products that people will like. So at this point, it doesn't appear like the dividend will be under any kind of threat. And obviously, the acquisition of, of Reynolds American is now complete, which um, kind of draws to an end, although I suppose you have all the kind of integration work, but it, um, that's a major step for this company, right? That's right. And yes, it has quite dramatically um, increased their exposure to the US, which I mean, after the FDA's announcement on Friday, it may not be the best idea anymore. But even still, they've got these, you know, these vaping products, these alternative products that people will still be buying. So, yeah, But it's still, it's potentially quite worrying, but we're yet to see the details. That's right. That's not the only news on bats. They also ha are under investigation yeah, uh, regarding this, practices in one of their markets. That's right. The Serious Fraud Office um, has opened an investigation into, into British American Tobacco this week for, um, in 2015, one of their employees in um, Kenya told a journalist on BBC's Panorama program that he was paying bribes to officials there and just thought it was part of the process of doing business in Africa and at the time didn't really think it was a big deal. But the serious fraud office begs to differ and thinks it actually is quite a big deal. So it's it, these allegations have been known about for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, British American Tobacco, what, what have they said in, re in response to the opening of the investigation? Uh, when I contacted them, they said no comment except for what was said in the... RNS release, and that just basically said that they were going to be cooperative and 
go along with, with the investigate SFO needs from them. Okay, so a bit, a bit of a headache, but obviously would pale in comparison, you would think, to a major intervention in, in the um, tobacco market in the States. That's right. Yeah. Okay, we should just mention your recent piece on uh, Imperial Brands in the Income Majors uh, supplement, because that kind of dug into the cash flows that are underlying uh, the dividends, which is obviously very important for Imperial Brands, and which has got a better dividend yield than, than BATS. But yeah, one to watch, definitely over the longer term. That's uh, right. Okay, well, thank you very much. Jonas, uh, you've been covering some of the interim results from the estate agency companies this week, and they have been fairly bad, (laughs) is it fair to say? Um, We had Foxtons and Countrywide uh, both um, struggling from falling transaction volumes. What's your um, take on uh, what we learned at the half-year stage that we didn't already know about those companies? I think the first thing to um, bear in mind is that last year... Uh, the comparatives are pretty tough because last year we had a, a rugby scrum in the first quarter to get uh, transactions completed before the increase in stamp duty. So this year, um, transactions in the first quarter were down 44%, but in the second quarter, they're only down 3%. Um, now, both Foxtons and Countrywide, um, I mean, Countrywide were barely profitable and they've, they've um, dumped the interim dividend the factor that is affecting both of them is the simple reason that uh, transactional volume is falling. Yes. It has been falling before Brexit, before the uh, political uncertainty. And, and that, that's something that isn't going to go away. People are worried about higher interest rates. They're worried about affordability. Um, so as transactional volume falls, they're going to make less money. The flip side is that, as in the case of... Um, both of them, they both have um, a, a lettings side, which is holding up a lot better uh, because obviously people can't afford to buy houses, so they, they rent them instead. Unfortunately, the, head, the headwind or potential headwind is next year's consultation or the consultation on letting fees, which will obviously um, impinge on revenue. Uh, so at the moment, they're, um, they're, they're looking pretty tough. LSL Property also had results. They're holding up well because they're more diverse. The sales revenue is down, but lettings income is up, and they're getting money from uh, their surveying side and raising mortgages. So diversity basically is the name of the game there. So the worry is that the government intervention into letting damages what letting has done for these estate agency groups, which is to help them out during cyclical downturn in their general agency sales business. Yeah, it doesn't do a lot for uh, tenants because the fees that uh, were paid will have to come from somewhere and and it'll probably impinge on rents. I mean, just on that transactional volume, it's obviously hard to tell, as you say, with the year on years because of that surge ahead of the stamp duty rise. How much do you think affordability, which you mentioned, is a factor? There is an argument uh, that was recently made by Jonathan Ely, past IC editor uh, in, in the FT, that prices now are just at such a, a high level, especially in in London, that that is itself given the amount you have to pay in stamp duty slowing the market do you think it's it's price related that the transactions have slowed down do you think it's politically related people are uncertain about the future of the of london plc given the brexit negotiations or or, or do you think it's more um just a reflection of that year-to-year change well stamp duty was uh, sort of rebased onto a sliding scale so that if you buy a house for less than half a million pounds you're actually paying less stamp duty so for the mere mortals in the real world, stamp duty is not really an issue. The problem is that if you want to go 
up the housing ladder from you know your three bedroom semi to your four bedroom detached it's such a quantum leap in in money terms that people are, are really spooked about getting an extra 150,000 on the mortgage they might not be able to afford it and also you know if you're paying 1.99% fixed on your mortgage and somebody tells you uh, in the more hysterical newspapers that you could be paying 6% in two years' time as a result of Brexit, you won't do it because you won't be able to afford it. Yeah, so there's a mixture of a couple of things. Yeah, it's really interesting. Whereas Rightmove, which also had results, suffered um, too as a result of falling transaction volume, but um, people, more people are still going on the website. So we like to uh, window shop even if we don't actually transact. Is that fair to say? Exactly right, yeah. You'll find that uh, if, you, if you look at a lot of the properties on websites like Rightmove, take a look at uh, when the property was put on there. You'll find that some of them have been on there for a year, which basically means there's something wrong with them or they're too expensive. But people do like window shopping. Visitor numbers are up, and that helps support advertising rates. And also estate agents are paying for their uh, optimizer package, which obviously they pay a lot more for. But this helps individual estate agents spread their marketing to a bigger audience, which obviously they're very keen to do because transactional volume is lower. At the moment, you're quite bearish about the traditional estate agency model of a bricks and mortar branch on the high street, the costs that go along with that, especially given the pressures that are coming on letting, um, the disruption that companies like Purple Bricks and the online only estate agents are providing. Well, yes, a couple of the estate agent uh, well, say have, have been closing branches because obviously having a, an estate agent a physical presence on the high street costs you money. It's interesting that some of them are also in investing in creating an online presence. So they're going to have the traditional high street side and also the online side. I think it's important to remember that Purple Bricks and Emove and many others have taken the market by storm, but they still only represent between 4 and 5% of all transactions, so it's tiny. Got to keep it in perspective. Just as we mentioned Purple Bricks, there was um, a watchdog piece that triggered some sell-off in the shares ahead of the publication of this report into some of the practices at Purple Bricks. But the next uh, day, Thursday, today, the um, share price has come back. Is this a storm in a teacup, as some have suggested? Uh, you know, what, what was kind of said on this programme? What are they focusing on? Well, actually, it's, it's a storm and a thimble. If we put That's the words of the uh, analyst at Pill Hunt, is it? Yeah. It is indeed, yeah. Uh, let's put this in perspective. The last 47,000 issued facility agreements um, generated two complaints which were considered by the financial ombudsman and both were rejected. So these facility agreements are when someone um, takes on purple bricks they can defer the payment of the uh, the fixed fee um until such time as the house is sold um but the backdrop to the, behind that there's a finance agreement is that a fair summation yeah if you read the small print uh, which you should do it's blindingly obvious uh, what happens is that uh, if you take the deferred option you don't have to pay until the property is sold um, and obviously that, that makes sense, but you have to take on Purple Bricks conveyancing uh, service and also the money is provided and given to Purple Bricks from Close Brothers who arrange an interest-free credit agreement with the potential purchaser or seller and that's as simple as that. You have to pay Purple Bricks or Close Brothers via Purple Bricks the 850-odd quid. So people... Um have complained not saying that they didn't realize that they were going to be in this credit relationship is that yeah it, it's quite possible that some of the uh, local property experts didn't make that clear but um not being funny uh, estate agents 
I haven't got a great reputation for transparency and I think Purple Bricks is at least making an attempt to remain transparent. Um, as their chief executive admitted, you know, we're, we're ex- Michael Bruce, he said, we're expanding fast and we're going to make mistakes. But um, at least we're honest enough to admit that. I think that's the wider context to put this in. We've talked about Purple Bricks a few times on this podcast. We've obviously covered them um, in, in the magazine um, since it came to market. And what's interesting about them is that they're growing so fast and then the numbers are so big that it's right to scrutinise what's behind those numbers. And people have scrutinised whether their um, sales agreed in principle have actually converted into um, completed sales. They've put under the spotlight these deferred payment agreements. They've questioned the local agents and the amount of investment the company's going to need to make. Do Do you just view this as another inevitability of this kind of revenue growth? You are going to get these focuses from time to time. Yeah. When we first tipped uh, Purple Bricks, the the headline was reassuringly disruptive. And it's certain that they've upset quite a few people. So everyone would like to see them uh, come under uh, scrutiny. But the, 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 the they haven't made friends, have they, in terms of how they've attacked uh, the estate agency, the, the advertising um, strategies that they've used. They, they haven't made any friends. I think it's been a bit ham-fisted because uh, to put a specific price on how much you can save by going through purple bricks is probably a bad move. But without doubt, you will save money. Now, whether it's a better service uh, is open to debate, but you certainly will spend less money using purple bricks. But um, And what we've said all uh, along, actually, is that if, if any of these things are true or uh, substantially uh, true um, in terms of um, the customer service lacking in any of these regards, regards that we've discussed, you are going to start to see a huge level of complaints coming through. There should be some kind of groundswell. But we haven't seen that yet. But that's not to say that it, it won't happen. But as you say, the, the level of kind of complaints about these agreements to the financial ombudsman um, is incredibly low, very negligible proportionally. Yeah. I mean, Purple Bricks, I mean, <laughs> the business model is quite simple. And for it to work, it's got to be good. Um, if it's not good, it won't work. And Purple Bricks will, will struggle to take a market share. Uh, they've got uh, a significant majority of the online uh, business already. Um, they're expanding into Australia, they're expanding into America. And, you know, not being funny, if, if if you try and swing it in America and it goes wrong, you're going to get slaughtered. Yeah. That's going to be fascinating to watch how they attack the California market, how whether they can outspend the local players. But they've shown that their model allows for huge huge expansion. But as you say, we need to keep these things in perspective. In the UK, at least, uh, and especially overseas, I suppose, it's still a very small proportion of the overall estate agency market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Joining us on the line is our small cap columnist, Simon Thompson. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing very well. It's um, a bit better of the weather than uh, seven days ago when, uh, when I was doing the last podcast. But uh, seemingly it's going to be warmer over the weekend too, so it's all looking up. So you've got your sunnies ready. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so the stock market. Note the, um, the index, FTSE 100, is up quite um, sharply today as well after the Bank of England um, having a pretty dovish, dovish report. Yeah, a pretty dovish report coming out. Yeah, and the weather's good. That's helped the retailers. Everything's sunny. Uh, and this week you've been uh, updating a few of the uh, picks from your bargain shares portfolio, a very well-followed uh, and well-read annual feature. Uh, wh- where should we start? Um. Actually, firstly, Andover based Bioquil, it sells biocontamination control products. So it's based around some really smart technology, which basically eradicates microorganisms such as bacteria, viruses, 
and um, it's used by you know hospitals, biotechnology companies, research institutes to uh, sterilize equipment and facilities. Well, they've just had half-year results, and they absolutely smashed the broker's forecast, smashed mine too. They delivered, in the first half of this year, £1.4 million of pre-tax profits. That's more than three times higher than the same period last year. They only did £1.6 million pre-tax the whole of last year, so they're only 200000 short of that after six months. Well, Chris Glasper at uh, House Broker and Plus One Singer has looked at his figures and has upgraded 28% his earnings forecast this year. He's whacked up 2018 EPS forecast 16%, and I think he's on solid foundation. The, the guidance from management um, at the results was to expect at least a similar revenue performance. Revenues were up almost 20% in the first half, all organic, no acquisitions. Yeah, what's driving so, this? I mean, like you say, very um, strong top line. Amazing performance. Um, margins are improving. They cut costs. Um, so margins, gross margins up 46 to 52%. Um, exchange rates, 75% of their business is overseas. So obviously with sterling weak and well after the Bank of England's decision today, you can see how it's tumbling into the euro and the dollar as well. So that's really good for Biocoil. Uh, but also new product launches. I mean, for example, they, they launched a, a workstation that can be used in hospitals or research institutes. It basically is used to um, have a safe environment for sterility testing of drugs, etc. Well, actually, revenues from that product alone in the first half equated to 11% of the company's revenues. Um, and it's, it's not just the only product. Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing that took my eye was the cash flow performance. Um, it was awesome. Tight working capital management, uh, net cash from operating activities troubled. Net funds now equate to a quarter of the market cap. So if you look at this company, it's got a market cap of £50 million, £12 million cash in the balance sheet, so enterprise value 38 And it's buying back um, shares. It's buying back shares as well, and it's going to continue to do so. And it's expected to increase its cash profits by roughly 20% this year. So, you know, enterprise value to cash profit multiple is less than eight. Well, I mean, that's that's cheap. So you put and it in your you, bargain shares portfolio in 2016. Um, I, I did. It's I now did. beating your price target. And what's, where do you think it's going to go from here? Um, I had a price target of 180. Um, anyone that followed me in last year and followed my advice, is in at about 125 thereabouts, and my price target was 180. I've revisited it, and it's going to be £2.50 now, and that's a minimum, £2.50 at the top end. I, I can see that actually going up. So stock price in the market after um, N plus one singers upgrades today um, is about £2.20. So, you know, you've got another 12, 13, 14% upside to my minimum target price. Um, so I'm really positive on that one. Um, the other one from the same portfolio last year is Mind and Machines. It's basically a service provider in the domain name industry. focuses on these new top-level domains. So to give you some examples of that, they've got uh, .london, .miami, um, .vip, .fashion, uh, .garden, .horse. But what really excites me about this one is that their .vip top-level domain, um, which they basically launched last year, and they... From launch date to to early this year, they actually secured 824,000 separate registrations. Well, the first year renewals of those registrations came through, and they had a 75% renewal rate, 317,000 registrations taken the first month alone. 
Well, to put that into perspective, Verisign, who's the industry leader, you know, .com and .net domain uh, names, um, well, that's got a renewal rate of 68%, so mm. they're actually beating the market leader. Why is that important? Well, .vip accounted for almost 60% of their gross billings last year, according to the house broker, who's Harold Evans at Simcap. Um, he now expects the renewal revenue to actually exceed the company's operating costs this year. And what that means is that any revenue above that, a high percentage will fall straight down to the bottom line. Good and operational gearing. A huge operational gearing. I mean, this is a potentially um, a 50% operating margin business now. And that's important because a couple of months ago, the company appointed a U.S. investment bank to review the business and look whether or not shareholders could be doing better by you know, selling a stake in the business or uh, selling the company outright. Well, I understand from management that a number of interested parties, specifically Asian, North American, Europe, are in discussions with it at the moment and expect an update at the interim results next month, later next month. What's a realistic valuation for it? Well, according to Mr. Evans at FinCare, this .vip domain alone, and remember they've got 28 other top-level domains, including .london and .miami, which launches later this year, but this .vip domain alone could have annual billings of close to £7 million, and he actually values that at £57 million in a sales scenario. Well, the company's only got a market value of 87. It's got another 28 domains which are clearly, you know, generating income and revenue and um, profits. It's got 12 million cash in the balance sheet. It's got a private equity shareholder, Goldstream, um, which is owned by Honey Capital, one of the leading Chinese private equity companies. That bought a 6% stake at 13 pence a share in Minded Machines last year. Well, the current share price is about 12 and a half. I reckon if everything goes to plan and major corporate transaction actually takes place, then you're looking at a minimum valuation of the shares of 18 pence. And the thing is, we don't have weights long. Later, end of next month, we're going to have an update on this strategic uh, review. And if a deal is done, there could be significant upside to the share price. A fascinating one to watch. And, and let's just leave one more uh, from the column for the readers of the uh, print magazine and on, online. You've got Bo Levin in there as well, but people might have to go and pick up the mag or go online to see what you're thinking about that. Okay, well, thank you so much, Simon, for joining us. I hope the weather treats you well over the weekend. And, I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure it will. I'm positive. So <laughs> you're positive. And we'll come back to you next week. Great to talk. Thanks. And there's plenty more in the magazine this week, including a really good sector focus looking at the challenger telecom sector and how changing regulation uh, is affecting that. We've also got from the same writer, Megan Boxall, looking at the large telecom companies, uh, BT and Vodafone, in the news section after a positive quarterly update for Vodafone and not so much for BT. But all that and much more in All Good News Agents for £4.90. Until next week.